So uh, Sal and I went to a wedding. I'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. But uh, coming back from Cleveland, Tennessee yesterday, and I was just like, you know what? I mean, it's 4th of July weekend. I'm, I'm just now, the way my mind works, I'm like, hey, there's a fireworks stand. Hey, there's a fireworks stand. Hey, there's a fireworks stand. Hey, I'm going to start counting fireworks stands. And I start counting fireworks stands coming back from Cleveland, Tennessee yesterday. And, and I'm telling you right now, I, I quit counting at 27, and I wasn't even to, to Paint Rock, okay, just kind of north of Gurley there. And, and I'm just like, I, I, I gave up. And just the number of people that this weekend, like, we're just going to go buy in bulk a bunch of fireworks. We're going to rent a U-Haul, and then we're just going to pull over on the side of the road, and we're going to put a little sign up that says, fireworks here, buy one, get one free here. And people just stop all over the place. And so... That, that is definitely the reminder, if you needed any, that it is the 4th of July weekend. Tomorrow is our country's birthday, and there's going to be a lot of shooting stuff and blowing stuff up. And I, and I love that. Like, nothing says America like, let's just blow stuff up. And, I, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. At the same time, I'm also grateful I live where I live, where the Sykeses are the youngest people on our street. And so we'll all be in bed by, you know, 9.30 tomorrow night. So... Uh, but the rest of you have a great time blowing stuff up. A couple of years following our declaration to the Britons, I said the British, you know I'm part British, like my grandmother is 100% British, and, and like she would be so mad if you tell that story. But our declaration from this empire those years were some of the hardest years in our country's history. There was a group of men that believed that all men, women, are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator. You know the line, with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, and that these men believed in this cause, and they formed a group and said, you know what, we're, we're not going to live under the rule of anybody else, so we are going to declare our freedom. And as they drafted this letter, as, as, they, as they drafted this, these words on, on parchment paper and they, they sent it to England, they knew what was going to happen, and that was war. Now, the official Revolutionary War actually started the year before in 1775. That's when Paul Revere, you know, did his, uh, the British are coming, the British are coming, and that's when the first shots were fired. But by sending the British Empire a document that stated, we no longer belong to you, the war was definitely going to be escalated, and it was. And the Continental Army was outmanned. They were outsupplied. They were out-trained. They were out-everything. But yet George Washington was the guy who was nominated to be the commander-in-chief and to lead these armies into war with the British Empire. And the British had the advantage on all fronts. There was this time when I was in kind of left my basketball playing days and I was doing some just going to, I was a man and I were married and so I, I you know, I, I started, I was now in, in, you know, working a job 
And, and I got to play in a three-on-three -three basketball tournament with three against three ex-NBA players. Okay? Now, these guys were like 10 years older than us. Okay? And it was me, and it was Jason Waters, and it was Craig Horner, and we played together in high school, and, and, and now we're going to play in this three-on-three -three tournament. And there was, we had two other guys on the channel, I remember it was, um, that they were just, you know, because we had to have spots. And anyway, we were the ones out there. And I remember the very first game against the very first, the, these guys, I mean, they're, they're out there, and we did this little pick-and-roll play, and I, I made this pick, and Craig Horner came off this pick, Jason Waters gave him this beautiful bounce pass, and Craig went right down the lane, and he dumped it right on these dudes. And that was the only points that we <laughs> scored. From that point on, uh, Xavier McDaniel was part of it, and I can't remember the other two. Uh, but from that point on, let me tell you, we, we did not stand a chance. Like, it was like, here's the shot that just fired, kaboom! And from that point on, they just had their way with us, and we were, we were done after that. that that's, that's very similar to what should have happened with the Americans and the British Empire. Like, we fire our first shot, and then they had enough power and training and supplies to just come in and annihilate our armies. But something happened. There was a defining moment in June of 1778 that shifted the war. George Washington and his troops had camped out in Valley Forge. Not because they wanted to, but because they kind of had to. See, see, Valley Forge was, was a, uh, um, just outside of York, Pennsylvania, which is where the the Continental Congress had kind of decided that they were going to meet. And so the, we had to place our armies here to act as a deterrent against the British. And, and in 1977, uh, this winter was brutal. It, it, it was, if you remember back from you know, being in history, this, this was one of the worst winters that our country had seen up to that point, at least at what was recorded. And, and supply chains had been cut off. Uh, the Continental Army, it says, they went days and even weeks without having any type of proper meal. And it has been well documented that many of the soldiers, they lost fingers, they lost toes due to frostbite. And it said that men were willing to boil their shoes. Yes, their leather shoes. They were willing to boil them to make them pliable enough and soft enough that they could actually eat them quickly. Conditions were made. They were harsh. Many men deserted their footprints. During these winter months, when neither army was willing to advance on the other, Continental Army used this time for additional training. George Washington, there was all this kind of political stuff going on. Shocker, right? It's, it's, it's been around for a long time. There was all this political stuff going on. And, and a man by the name of General Steuben showed up at Valley Forge. General Steuben had a positive sense of humor. And he had some new training techniques. And these things started to improve morale. 
he continually emphasized to the army the why. The why we are doing this. The why behind you being out here shivering and cold. The why behind your hunger. The, the, the why. And when we understand the why, it started to shift the morale. In seven grueling months of perseverance, the Continental Army grew stronger and was better trained than they were in December of 1777. Those months prepared this army for the war that was ahead of them. And when you look at the big picture of the war, historians will tell you, battle experts will tell you that this seven-month period was instrumental in the success of the Continental Army that we still celebrate the freedoms of their sacrifices and their perseverance today. We talk about perseverance. We don't like talk about perseverance. It's one of those traits that we know is needed in areas of life, right? Like diet. Like I confessed to Griffin today, man, today's the first day I went back to the gym and actually did legs in well over a month. And I'm feeling it right now. Let me tell you. Right? Like we know the need for perseverance when it comes to eating healthy and clean and, and, and what, what sustained uh healthy nutrition does for our body. We talk about physical therapy. Uh, I, I was thinking about when, when I had knee surgery way back in the day that, that man, after about a week and a half of going to physical therapy, I didn't want to. But, but you've got to persevere through the pain. You've got to persevere through these things. We know that in job situations, sometimes hey, perseverance, just the, the willingness to stick it out. Hey, we know as parents, don't we? We know, we know as parents that sometimes perseverance is needed. I mean, when you got that sweet little bundle of joy that doesn't, doesn't want to walk, and, and you see mama dragging the child through the church, you know it, don't you? Pers and we've all been there. Like, that's the thing. Like, like, like everybody walking by is like, yep, been there, done that before. Uh-huh. Glad it's you, not me, because I've already persevered those, those days. When it comes to raising children, perseverance is needed. But here's the thing, we get in church circles and we talk about our relationship with the Lord. A lot of times we, we don't even associate perseverance to our relationship with Jesus. But when you study the Bible, the Bible is full of examples of perseverance. When, 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 you, when you operate on a supreme powers timetable, you know, being him being God, meaning that when we're submitting to God and his authority, man, we we submit all the time, and we do things on his timetable, perseverance is needed. I, I was going to tell the story of Joshua and Caleb, and I, I'll tell you this just a little bit. God has brought the, the, the Israelites out of slavery, walked them through the desert, given them the Ten Commandments. We finally are going to go into the Promised Land after all these, you know, dealing with the emotions of the Israelites and all the second-guessing God and everything. We're finally going to go in, and we send... You know, the 12 spies in, 10 were bad and 2 were good, all that kind of stuff. And Joshua and Caleb come back and they're like, you know what? Because God's on our side, we can go in there and we can kick their tail and no, this is no problem. And the other 10 were like, oh no, this isn't going to happen. They'll run over us. God brought us out of Egypt to die here. 
And, and, and Joshua and Caleb are like, uh-uh, man, we got this guy's bigger than those people over there. Did y'all see the size of those grapes? They're worth dying for. Let's go in there. You know, the land of milk and honey, man, we should, we should charge and we should go in there. Joshua and Caleb were faithful. God said, you know what? Because all of you are griping and complaining, only two of you believe, you're going to wander around. This whole generation is going to die off before y'all get to see it. And Joshua and Caleb had to wander for over four years before God allowed them into the promised land. Abraham, we talked about Abraham a lot this year, 25 years from the time God said, I'm going to do an incredible miracle. Had to wait 25 years. Jeremiah. Man, I, every time I'm down as a minister, I, I just go read the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah preached for 30 plus years. And he, and he, he continually, he's like, no one's listening, God. No one's listening. For 30 something years. I'm I'm only on like nine or eleven years. I can't. You know, he went thirty plus years with no one listening. Paul's conversion, fourteen years from the time that Paul was on the road to Damascus to kill some Christians, where Jesus showed up in his life, and to where he released him to actually go do ministry was fourteen years of preparation and training. Then you get into the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 is considered to be the faith chapter, and it's story after story of person or peoples who were faithful to God, but their faithfulness was because of persevering large and long amounts of time. And I love the transition from Hebrews 11 talking about the different people and their faithfulness and their perseverance. And then Hebrews 12.1 says this to you and I. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, the word endurance is synonymous with perseverance in the New Testament. Okay? In, in, in the New Testament, the word, I'm not going to say it for you, but it, the, the word perseverance means steadfast endurance. They're the same thing. And in some translations, they use perseverance. Other translations, they use the word endurance. But it means to press on in the midst of difficult or uncomfortable moments in life. That, that's, that's what the word endurance means. It's to not give up. I was studying for this sermon, and I got into the movie Unbroken. Have y'all ever seen it? If you haven't seen it, you need to go watch it. That's what I'm doing this afternoon before cookout. I'm going to go watch the movie Unbroken because it is a story uh, of, of an Olympic athlete who got sucked into uh, World War II, and he was captured by the, uh, the Japan Japanese, and he was a prisoner of war, and everything he went through, and out of it, he and, and, and one of his uh, main enemies became friends. Right? But he never gave in. It's an amazing movie about pressing on in the midst of difficult or uncomfortable moments in life. And so the author of Hebrews gives the example of men and women who were considered faithful in God's eyes. And he encourages us, you and I, that we should run with steadfast endurance the race of life that is set before us. And we had a saying on the farm. 
the going gets tough, tough get going. Like whenever I got shocked by something, I was like, I don't want to do this, Dad. He would say, when the going gets tough, tough get going. Or either that, or he would he would say things like, stupid shit hurt. You're finding out the hard way. <laughs> As followers of Jesus, the race is all about living our lives the way Jesus would live our lives if he were near. That, that, that's what the race is that, that the author of Hebrews is alluding to. He wants you to run the race with endurance. And, and this race is all about living my life the way Jesus would live my life if he were me. How would he prepare for a sermon? How would he handle going to a wedding? How would he, you name it, how would Jesus do these things? That's the race that we are to run. James, the brother of Jesus, echoes the author of Hebrews. James chapter 1, verse 2, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What's the one thing that has to finish its work so that we are complete and mature? Perseverance. Perseverance is crucial in us developing into mature and complete followers of Jesus. And I'll go ahead and tell you this right now. I think it's the number one thing that has led to the church becoming very complacent, very apathetic, it is that we have lost the desire and the willingness to persevere through difficult times in life. And we settle for the comfortable. Read what Paul says to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 3. Verses 3 through 5. Not only so, but we are also, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's talk about this for just a minute. In, back in the James passage, James uses the phrase. Consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds. Paul writes here, glory in our suffering. This does not mean that, that we're expected to enjoy the trials that we are facing. Amanda's at home sick right now. She's been sick for about three weeks. She's got some, some liver issues don't know what's going on. She's sleeping 12, 16 hours every single day. I mean like zero energy. And then this thing has progressed to the point that now she's got some rash and now we're, you know, we're in doctors and doctors aren't moving fast enough for me and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to, you know, I'm, I'm acting like fleshly Michael and not Jesus Michael and, 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 and I want answers and and there's, there's, there's all this stuff that's going on. And the Bible tells me that I should glory in the suffering. And it's not even my suffering. It's just seeing the suffering of, of, of my wife laying there. He's not saying to us that we should enjoy 
He's not saying that you must enjoy the trials that are going on. That the perseverance, though, that is needed, don't miss this, please. The perseverance that is needed is seeking and trusting God in the moment of the trials. When we're going through the thing, whatever it is, whether it be you know, a conflict or issue in relationships, or if there's a physical ailment, we, most of us have experience with that. Or even, you know, if we feel like, man, I've been in this spiritual desert for, for some time now. The perseverance needed is, is in seeking God in these moments. It, it's not being stubborn and bullheaded and say, I'm just going to outlast whatever it is that we're doing. The, the perseverance is I'm going to continue to seek God and I'm going to continue to trust God that no matter what the outcome of the thing is that I'm going through right now, I will be obedient to the Lord in whatever happens. And it's in these moments of obedience in the middle of trials that we are developed, that we are shaped. James says that this is where you are made complete. Romans talks about the character that is being developed. So if you're in the middle of a job, man, where you're being tested, or if you're in the middle of a relationship that isn't healthy, or maybe you're dealing with a health concern right now, I'm telling you right now, church, we are to continue to seek God and trust what His Word says in the moment. That's persevering. That's where we are developed into His Likeness. And here's the, here's the harsh reality of, of this life. You may not understand all the details of what you're facing. And, and you may not even like the outcome. And, 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 and whatever it is you're going through, it may go on for months or even years. I mean, we know cancer patients who, who have had to endure countless trips for chemotherapy. And, I, and I've Never had to face this, but I don't know anyone that speaks highly of it. I remember my dad when he, he had to go through it, and his was mild compared to most people's. He was like, I'm, I'm not going back. And we had to put him in the car and drag him. It's like, I don't want anything to do with this. We may not like the outcome, but it's in these moments of seeking God and trusting being obedient in the moment that we develop the Christ likeness. So that's perseverance. Perseverance is also taught by Jesus as, as part of our prayer discipline. And, and unfortunately, and I have long seasons of life myself with this, most Christians only practice or utilize prayer when something is needed. Failing to see that prayer to the Christian is like oxygen to the body. It's needed continually. This, this is why Paul told the church that we're to pray without ceasing. And, and for some reason, we, we equate this verse to sitting and talking to God nonstop. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to not go to work tomorrow, not be in a relationship with other people, and, and not do things and just sit and pray with our, with our hands uh, clasped together and our head bowed. That, that's not the prayer that Paul is talking about. Our prayer life should be communion with God. That's what prayer is. 
It's where our thoughts and our minds naturally drift back to God when we are not locked into the necessities of our jobs or relationships. Where does your mind go when you're done with the customer? When, when, when you're done with the, the, the thinking through the task, where does your mind go? Prayer says that it should drift back to God. And that's where our thoughts should be. Jesus gives an illustration to his audience on, on what should be our approach to prayer. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Just stop right there. What are they to always do? To pray and to not lose heart. Well, Michael, what, what, if, what if I pray and it doesn't turn out my way? Well, we can get into the topic of prayer and when we're to ask and how we're to ask and the, the approach that we're to take. We, we're not going to do that right now. The, the, the thing is that we are to always pray and to not lose heart. And when the answer is given, to rejoice in the Lord, whether it's my outcome or whether it's his will. This is a parable. Verse 2, he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And that's a big statement. Will She was seeking justice for the wrongdoing against her. Now, church, you understand something. This, this is not a story about asking God for what you want just because you want something. All right? I, I'll go ahead and tell you right now, God's not in the business of giving you what you want, but he's in the business of giving you what you need. Okay? Just because, I mean, I know countless people that buy lottery tickets and they pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And God's like, no, you don't need that you want that. And what Jesus is teaching here is that we should keep coming and asking until there is an answer. You can ask my kids. I am a master of selective hearing. Alright? And I, I mean, look, they can ask for something and I can I can pretend that I'm locked into something and engaged, like on the spot, like when like when their when their mouth starts to open. It's like a sense within me, and I know, hey, I'm doing something right over here. And they'll say something like, you know, hey, Dad, what's for lunch? And I'll be like over here like, yeah, I'm in the middle of something right now. And I won't even acknowledge that they spoke. Okay? Stella, for months, has wanted this VR thing. You know, the virtual reality thing you put on your faces, and, and you 
And, and she's going to buy it with her own money. Like, that's the thing. All right? But I'm over here like, man, that's, like, do you really need to spend that kind of money? Just because you have that kind of money doesn't really mean that you need to spend that kind of money on that. And she's asked. She sends me text messages. She sends me all this stuff. And I'm just like, hello. And she'll send me stuff. Hello, are you there, Dad? Are you just going to ignore me all the time? And this has been going on for months. But let me tell you about this little girl. She's stubborn just like her mama. All right? I mean, she just <laughs> keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. And so this weekend, uh, we, we got a chance. Man, I was supposed to go to a wedding, and, and it ended up being still not going to the wedding, which, which meant that it was just the two of us together for like 28 hours. And I kept hearing, Dad, Dad. And I put my AirPods in, and and I would, you know, they're noise canceling, Stella. I can't hear you. The noise canceling, and she's like, I've got your phone, and I've turned them off. I know you can hear me. <laughs> she she cornered me. She got me. So we ended up buying her things. She never lost heart, right? She never, and she was faithful. Over and over and over again. I, I, I called uh, John Lancaster and I asked if I could tell him tell this story. He was absolutely. About six years ago, he came to me and he was just beat down and frustrated. He was like, Michael, I, I honestly believe that we're to be making disciples who make disciples. I, I, like he's on that same journey that that I'm on, that we are on as a church. And it's like, man, it's in God's word, and it is the most important thing for the church to be engaging in. And, and if, if uh, forget all the other programs and functions. Forget forget this right here. I, I mean, forget what we're doing out there. All right? If, 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 if we are not leveraging what God has commanded, what Jesus told his disciples to do, then, then as a church, we are missing the boat. We are to be making disciples who can make disciples. End of story. He's like, I feel that. He goes, but my leadership doesn't. He goes, I don't know what to do. And so I asked him, well, why are you praying for him? He's like, well, yeah, I mean, I pray for him. I'm like, no, 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 John. How are you praying for him? I said, so here's, here's what my advice to you is. This was six years ago. Here's my advice, and I'm going to partner with you. I'm going to write their names down in a journal every single day that I pray. And you're, you're going to do this. You're going to write their names down, and you're going to pray specifically for a change of heart when it comes to discipleship. And we prayed together. And then he brought Matt Pittenger in, and, and the two of them are praying. They meet every Monday morning at 5 o'clock in the morning. And they pray by name for his elders. And two years goes by, and three years goes by, and four years goes by, and nothing. And five years goes by. And he comes to, he's in our micro network, our coaching group, and he says, guys, I'm asking right now that y'all please pray for my elders. We get this DS1, and, and I, I, we're going to go to this DS1 in Indiana. It was the one that I, I got to participate in back, in back in the spring. And some of his elders took time off work and said, you know what, I'll go. 
And when they went, there was this complete conviction. There was this, oh my gosh, where has this been? He's over here like, hello, people, I've been telling you about this forever. And as we sat around in, in, in our huddle, as we sat around as facilitators, and we're talking about the different groups, somebody brought up Huntsville Christian Church, and I said, let me tell you the real story behind this. It's been over five years of praying for these men. Every Monday, these two guys and myself have listed out the names of these elders, and we've pr prayed specifically for a change of heart. Some of y'all will notice I've been praying for y'all longer than that. Waiting on that change of heart for you too. And this past week, they came back. And they had some elders meetings going on. And there's some, not all the elders went. And they kind of had some, some, some tension, some inner turmoil. And John came to me and said, man, I, I, can y'all pray again? I talked to him for 45 minutes the other day. I got a funny motorcycle story I'll share with y'all down the road. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. But but we, we talked for 45 minutes the other day about what's going on. And church, I'm here to tell you right now that the elders that did not go came before them and said, we need to repent. Almost Not for what we want, but for the will of God. Here's the thing, church. God has sovereignly placed us in certain situations for the express purpose of praying His promises. And continued prayer on our part aligns us with His will and the desire for our lives. We're going to have a prayer moment. Church, perseverance is the trait of Jesus that is most going to help us to become like him. It has to be part of our prayer discipline. And we have to toughen up and realize that when things aren't going as I want them to do, this is the time when I seek God the most. Instead of throwing in the towel on the marriage or on the relationship or on the thing over here, I seek God. And I quit worrying about the outcome the way I want the outcome to happen. But I seek you, Lord, and I trust you because I know that you know what's best for my life. And so how do we respond? Well, we're going to respond with communion. So go ahead and get your packets out. Told you yesterday, Stella and I got to go to the Bryant's wedding. John Bryant, son to um, Jack and Michelle, had had a, had a wedding up in Tennessee. We were grateful to be invited. Got to go up there. Of course, most weddings. We're gonna we're gonna read. We're gonna read First Corinthians thirteen. It's a love chapter, right? Can't have it. I mean, is it even a wedding? Here, here's the crazy thing about this. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. This is what it says. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and 
perseveres or endures all things. You see, you see, church, the picture painted in 1 Corinthians 13 is the love that Jesus has for you and I. That's what it is. It's the love that we are to have for one another. And if, if we are going to have this unconditional love for other people, then, then, then we are going to have to persevere through all things. Perseverance is as much about the relationships with other people as it is going through any other physical trials that, that, that we may think. Jesus did both. Though. Jesus chose a bunch of uneducated fishermen People that you know got underneath his skin. He said, I'm going to live with these people every day. We're not going to have a house. We're going to walk around. We're going to travel. We're going to do our thing. And so you know, because you've traveled with other people before, you know what it's like to be there. You get tired of it. And Jesus like, no, I'm going to love these guys <coughs> unconditionally. Even when Peter's being Peter. Even when he's acting himself and doing what he does. And then we're going to persevere through the physical. I'm going to go to the cross. I don't want to go to the cross. I'm going to pray to God this night in the garden. Lord, take this cup from me. Don't make me do it. But I know it's the only thing that can be done. And so he's going to go to the cross. Jesus is the model of perseverance for you. So we pause. This is how we respond right now. We think about our life. As we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for you and I. Think about your own life right now. Think, think about the, the struggles. Think about the tensions. Think about the conflicts. Think about the things that man, you just don't quite understand. Are you willing to persevere? Jesus sat there that night with his disciples, with his closest friends, and he took the bread and he, and he broke it. He said, this is my body. Take it and eat. Let's take it together. And he knew what was coming as, as he grabbed the, the chalice of wine. He, he, he knew that his blood was going to be spilled. Do the pain that was coming. And this is my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. God, we know it. Perseverance ain't fun. It's not. It's needed so that we can become like you. And so, Father, I pray that, that as your followers, created in your likeness, that, that we will persevere. We'll persevere through the relationships that are, that are struggling right now. We'll, we'll persevere through the, the things that are going on in our lives, the physical ailments, God, that, that we won't just tough them out. We won't be... We won't use our own willpower, but in these moments, God, we will seek you. We will trust you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his willingness.